Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 139 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I've got Kurt Mortensen here with me. As usual, we appreciate everybody tuning in and listening so you can supercharge your persuasion, influence, and leadership skills. We've got a great show planned for you, as usual. And always the reminder before we get Kurt wound up here, because he's hard to get to stop, <laughs> follow us on Twitter at InfluenceMax, like us on Facebook, and always check out University of Persuasion. If you feel like you want to crank this up to the next level, get some daily accountability, daily skills that you can learn. Uh, Kurt, it's probably a, an interesting time to bring that up. I always like making analogies, and I was at a course down in Arizona over the weekend. I'm very tired. I've mentioned on the show before that uh, I, like, I like firearms. I like to learn how to shoot them, and some people send me hate mail for that. But I went to this course to learn how to use them responsibly, and it was amazing how much of it was muscle memory and learning very, very basic habits that you do no matter what. And uh, something that they kept drilling into us was that when you're emotional, when things are really going, you default down to the highest level of training that you have. And so in a persuasion or in a negotiation situation, if things get emotional, if things get tough, you are only as good as how much training you have received. So if you kind of do it sporadically, or you don't really pay a lot of attention, you don't take it seriously, you're going to be pretty bad when things get emotional, when you're in a difficult persuasion or an influence situation. But university persuasion cranks that training up. When things get tough, you're going to have a ton of it to default back to because that's all you can do. So, you know, why not get trained, right, Kurt? Hey, it's a place to go where you get a little bit of training every week. You can uh, follow the 52-week program. You can learn the things that you need to. And you're right on, whether it be sport or shooting or that emotional negotiation or the prospect that just you're not sure what to do next. That's that default setting, what you've been trained to do. I've said it before, when you need to persuade somebody, it's too late to learn. That's right. Exactly. You'll just default back to what you know. It is, and that's not always a good thing because it's usually something from your childhood by freaking out, getting upset, getting angry, throwing a fit, <laughs> or doing something stupid. And that's not a good default setting to have. So we need to get a new default setting, new tools, new skills to make a huge difference because when we ask people, how much money have you lost with your inability to persuade, we averaged it out. It was $4.2 million because they didn't get somebody else to do what they wanted them to do. Yep. Yep, most of the people that you negotiate with, that you deal with, that you know, they are just 40-year-old, 5-year-olds. Articulate, <laughs> so you know, articulate 5-year-olds, I guess. <laughs> They're going to take their ball home and you can't play with it because you said something mean. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> and you might laugh at that, but it is so true. I have monitored hundreds of negotiations and when the motions kick in, or something is said, or something's misinterpreted, and people don't have the right tools, chaos happens. Yep, yep. So that's what University of Persuasion is there for. Uh, Kurt, as I was driving home through the deep, dark desert last night, I was listening to Sirius XM Radio, ended up on a music station, 90s on 9, that's Channel 9 on XM. And, of course, they do these commercials that really play off of 90s culture, TV, things like that. Are you getting where I'm going with this? One of, no, I'm not. One of the commercials was your pal, Steve Urkel, 
Oh no! The laughing, the oh, snorting. No. It's oh, time. Oh, it's time oh, to push no. the button. Just get it over with. All right, Urkel. Be our friend. Go. <laughs> <laughs> was such an awesome segue. Oh, it totally caught you off guard. I had no idea where you were going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no idea. Well, because I kind of just took you through that emotional roller coaster, how about I handle the blunder this week? You're not taking the blunder. You're taking the article. Yeah, oh, yeah, the article. Now, there you go. That's what I'm going right. to do. So you've all probably noticed this on the show. I know, I know that I have. This is the first time I've seen somebody really write about it from CNN and Money Magazine. Walking through first class to coach makes travelers really angry. <laughs> I find this very interesting. Going to give you a few highlights from the article. Air rage is more likely on planes with first class. Air rage, <laughs> that's good. The walk of shame through airplanes first class section to coach isn't fun for anyone. Judging from a lack of eye contact and pursing of the lips when it does happen, the high rollers sure seem to be uncomfortable. And of course, the hapless pros are naturally agitated when briefly shown a cushy alternative with free drinks before they face a six-hour hell without legroom, hot towels, or dignity. <laughs> <laughs> While there's no doubt of the world's first-class systems, the plane places the privileged upper crust and envious commoners in extremely close proximity. According to a new study from the Rotten School of Management in Toronto, this is a recipe for air rage. Air rage is broadly defined as any airplane disobedience. From Alec Baldwin, no, I will not turn off my phone, to smoking in the bathroom, the mere existence of a first-class section on a plane may have an impact. The data collected from a few million flights showed that the presence of a first-class meant air age was 3.84 times more likely to happen among coach passengers. According to Gizmodo, the researchers say that's the psychologically equivalent to a nine-hour delay. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I mean... We've both sat in first class, and you do get those glaring stares sometimes, and it's amazing how angry people get. And, and part of it is once you've sat in first class, it's hard to go back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're getting the complimentary upgrades, and it seems like the airlines put you in the back every once in a while to humble you. It's like, oh, not every time. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've noticed that. In fact, it happened to me when I had a young daughter. She probably was around four or five years old, and I was visiting my parents in California for the holidays. It was December, driving to the airport. Looked at my ticket, said seat to be assigned. I'm like, oh no, that's not good. December 26th, no seat. Turned in the rental car, got there. I'll just say the holiday cheer had left the airport. Yep, yep. <laughs> no, oversold, panic, nervous tension. And I'm like, we're getting bumped. There's just no way. And the young person at the counter said, uh, Mr. Mortensen, Mr. Kerr Mortensen, please come to the counter. I'm like, oh, we're getting bumped. What I do? I mean, and she said, would you mind, would you be upset if we upgraded your whole family to first class? The answer is <laughs> always no. I, yeah, I'm like, let me think about it. Can I, you know, <laughs> no, it's like, that's awesome. I don't know who wouldn't take a free complimentary upgrade. And so there was three of us. I travel a lot. And I get a lot of complimentary upgrades, which is great. But usually when you travel with someone else, it's very rare. So this was kind of cool. Yeah. She said, well, you're the last to board in first class here, your new ticket. So we boarded and all the compartments in first class were full. So. My wife sat by the window, my daughter sat in the aisle, and I sat on the other side of the aisle. And I went behind that magical curtain and put my stuff into coach, not thinking much of it. And we were getting ready to fly, and coach started to board. And here's my little petite five-year-old girl, cute little thing, little thing sitting in a huge chair, right? The big contrast there. They brought her soda and cookies. She was smiling. She was laughing. The flight attendants were doting on her. Now, this is kind of cool. And then coach started to board. And I noticed the facial expressions, anger, frustration, resentment. I'm thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute. 
Anybody can pay for a first-class ticket, but most people would rather resent the person sitting there than yeah. paying the price. Yeah. Life lesson right there. And it was. On a lot like, of levels. Wow. And then we landed, and I went and got my thing behind Coach. And I was very polite. I said, excuse me, sir, I need to get my suitcase here. And he looked at me and said, you know what? You're not first-class. You're no-class. <laughs> wow. What do you say to that? And the answer is nothing. I don't know if he expected the upgrade or my daughter's over. But there are a lot of emotions and a lot of anger, and it, it's real to where – I don't know if it's an expectation things or if people think you're more than that when you sit in first, but I'm not going to turn down a first class seat just because someone might give me a mean look. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, there are a lot of engineering reasons why this doesn't work well, but you've flown on 757s before where you board those and actually the coach passengers don't really see first class. They can see it, but they don't walk through it. And I would wonder if this air rage instance is lower when you board those kinds of planes, because you know, I wonder if it's worth the re-engineering, putting the, moving the door back a little bit, right? Maybe to I, to do that. I put money on it. Yeah, you bet, because they're out there and they're not seeing the contrast, and it's a challenge, especially international flights. I've seen people with the expectations of getting a free first class upgrade and didn't get it, and that was a whole nother scenario of emotions with the expectations and the management but it, it does get interesting yeah it's a bad expectation you you know you're getting squeezed more and more back in coach and you just everything's hard and you're thinking about that you're already anxious and then you get to see what could have been right mm. <laughs> and then you go to the it's just bad expectation management it is or you're number one or number two on the upgrade list and don't make it you're like uh so close. Yeah. I believe in something called upgrade inflation, right? It's uh, with Delta. They give out so many uh, airline status miles and things like that that it's now meaningless. <laughs> I, I'm a gold medallion with Delta, which is slightly better than garbage, uh, but not You're much. nice garbage. Yeah. You're nice garbage. Yeah. yeah I, I, I can't tell you. It's, you're 47 of 82 on the upgrade list. There are two seats. <laughs> That's right. Well, they're doing better managing the expectations, saying, yeah, there's no way, buddy. Yep, yep. Go back. Go to the back of the bus. <laughs> That's right. You're sitting by the bathroom. That's right. <laughs> so, well, I don't know if the money is there, if it's if this is causing enough in delays, enough in resentment, maybe move the door back, but we'll, we'll see. That's easy for me to say. I'm not in those board meetings. So let's move it along with the show, Kurt, here. We wanted to talk about, because we started the show talking about expectations and how you perceive other people and what that does to your mood. I recently starting in, started interacting with some new people on the real estate side who have really, really good attitudes, high producers. And I got to say, it's it's rubbing off. I'm feeling better about things. I'm actually closing a few more sales because of this attitude I'm surrounded by. Is there anything to this attitude thing and your thoughts and actually turning that into some kind of reality? It has everything to do with it. I mean, we're talking self-persuasion here. If you can't persuade yourself, you can't motivate yourself, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what tools you have. And people forget that, that that makes a huge difference, How where your attitude comes from. And attitude does come from expectations. You expect to have a rotten day or a rotten negotiation, that usually happens. Your expectations of closing the deal. Your expectation about money. I mean, a lot of people hate to hear, but it's pretty much... You earn what you feel you're worth. Oh, no, and then you get all these excuses. But the studies show it time and time again where someone feels they're a $100,000 a year person and it's October, that's what they've made, and then there's a little self-sabotage, something going on. They want to make more, but they don't. Our concept about money and success makes a huge difference. And part of it is really understanding where our foundations come from. 
I love, love what Henry David Thoreau said. He says, if you've built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. That's where they should be. Now put foundations under them. He's saying dream and dream big. But if you have a dream, there's certain things you need to have. And the first one is understanding our thoughts. And I like the, just the acronym T is that your thoughts control your emotions and your emotions control your actions. So where are your thoughts taking you? I mean, this is huge. Most people don't think that most of their thoughts are negative. And as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a man is what he thinks about all day long. You're in charge of your thoughts. And, and here's the challenge. A lot of people say, well, that's stinking thinking, or you shouldn't think that way. But we all do. We're all going to have a negative thought. That's a given. You're going to have negative thoughts. It's what you do with it. Are you the person that gives it a place to grow? What if? And that could happen. It might happen. It should. Oh, and it happens. Versus a successful person is going to redirect that thought to something more successful, to uh, changing their mindset, because your thoughts do control your emotions, which control your actions, which going to affect every aspect of your day, affect your relationships, affect the income that you earn, affect every aspect of what you do. And people just don't give it a lot of thought about the thoughts because they're so consumed about other aspects of the day. But it feels so good to be negative sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it does. And sometimes there's a time and place to be negative or pessimistic. But for the most part, what you focus on is going to happen especially as I train people to do persuasive presentations, public speaking, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're visualizing, oh, what if they don't laugh? And what if it's bad? And what if I forget my notes? It's just a downward spiral. We got to treat it like sports. Great quarterbacks don't think about interceptions before the game or losing or getting hurt. They're visualizing the win. And that's the next piece is once you've controlled your thoughts, you're working on your vision because vision more than anything else will dictate your future. Winners win in advance. You take any Olympian who's won a gold medal, they have seen it so many times in their mind that when it finally happens, it was a given. It was going to happen. It became real to them. That's why it's so important to really take a look at your vision where you can see it, taste it, touch it, and feel it. It makes a big difference. So I want to get your take on this, though, because it is faking it. I just, this positive mental attitude thing, I get it, but I don't always feel that way. And forcing it is that counterproductive. I probably shouldn't say this. My wife and I would call that the Prozac smile, right? You know, you're, <laughs> it's it's just forced, it's fake or, or drug induced <laughs> even. I mean, can we ever really kind of blow off the steam that way? Or do we have to always be positive, even if we're just not feeling like it? Well, no, it's always good to look around corners and have a little pessimism in you. But for the most part, optimistic people are more persuasive. And, and we got to be careful here. We all remember the famous movie, The Secret, where you can sit on the couch and think, I'm the best, and people love me, and I'm wealthy. And there's some good things to affirmations and vision, but you've got to have an action plan, right? Otherwise, they're going to haul you off, and that's just kind of how it is to really do that. And that's what makes people a lot of nervous sometimes. People say, well, if you want to be wealthy, you should say, I am a millionaire. And so they say, I am a millionaire. And it just doesn't sit well. It feels awkward, and they just never do it again. And it's something that takes repetition. It's something that you program your brain to be able to do what you want it to do. When we talk about wealth, I mean, I love what Harv Ecker says is the best thing you can do to help a poor person is not be poor yourself, True. <laughs> right? True. And if anybody says money's the root of all evil, you look them right in the eye and say, you don't have any, do you? Because, <laughs> I mean, there's some important sides to that. And what's interesting is people drive around town with their family and friends in the car and they see a successful person maybe in a really expensive car and a nice home. And it's amazing what negative and derogatory things about they say about this person they've never even met. Well, trust fund baby, or they're not happy, they're going to hell, they've been married five times, 
They stepped on people to get there. And here's the reality of this as we talk about the importance of beliefs and thoughts is that you cannot become what you resent. You cannot become what you despise. You cannot become what you make fun of. That's just reality. That's how your brain is programmed. You will sabotage yourself. So you have to be very careful of how it works and you bring it together to realize the power of your mind and your subconscious mind. If you're thinking it, it's real. No thought resides rent-free. That's just how it is. Regarding that whole you can't become what you despise, you know, I've, I've had issues with that before. I think we all have. You look at somebody with a certain financial situation or whatever, and you go, ah, trust fund baby, or you're lucky, or whatever. And what helped me get out of that thought pattern was to tie something else to it. So I, I decided I was going to tie being physically fit to that. If you see somebody who's really in shape, guess what? Yeah, some of them have superior genetics. <laughs> they are lucky. <laughs> and that's true on money. But you not you hating on it doesn't change your circumstance. But you know what? For every lucky one, the other 10, they have to eat really well. They work really hard at the gym, and they, they deserve the way they look. They put the work in, and that's how it is with money too. Yeah, there's some lucky ones, but you've got to start going, oh, I wonder what they did. I, start thinking about it, critically thinking, what did they do that was smart? What did they do that got them to that position? That just kind of helped get me out of that because I – I really thought that for a while, that, yeah, it was just lucky, right place, right time. And, yeah, that's true sometimes, but not all the time. Yeah, and just say, good for them. You can say, I'm next, right? But good for them, whether it's money or health or whatever it is, because you have to realize that your belief system is a big part of who you are. And here's what's interesting. When you're in first and second grade and you're told something about yourself, smart, strange, weird, dumb, ADD, good, positive or negative, your brain is not mature enough to refute it. It becomes an instant belief. And that's what screws us up as adults. Right, right. right. We, have, we have conflicting beliefs. If you shoot a torpedo at a target and it has conflicting guidance systems telling it what to do, or an airplane landing has conflicting control powers telling it what to do, you'll never land. You'll never hit the target. You have the conflicting beliefs. Well, money's the root of all evil. Filthy rich versus I want to be successful. Now, now in reality, they don't conflict, but they could conflict for you. Oh, you have to have money to make money, or you have to have a college education to be successful, right? Those are conflicting beliefs for a lot of people that hold them back and kind of screws with their brain a little bit to where you have to make sure your beliefs are congruent with who you are and where you want to go. Okay, okay. So as people try to break out of this cycle, it is very a lot easier to be negative than it is to be positive because you don't have to do anything. <laughs> Being negative is all talk. Being positive is actual action. As we kind of hit the home stretch on this, what is some of the advice that you have to the listeners? Because, yeah, we, we all do know, everybody knows on an intellectual level, positive people are better persuaders. But what do we do about this right now? First thing I would do is, as we look at this foundation, is take a look at your thoughts. I mean, some people wear the rubber band and they snap themselves. That doesn't last long because they don't realize how negative their thoughts are. Be aware of your thoughts and that they're real. And learn to redirect them. Thoughts control emotions. Emotions control actions. Take a look at any conflicting beliefs you have about success or wealth or who you are or, or what you want to accomplish. Reality is 75% of your beliefs come from your parents, whether it be political or religious. The other 25% are the exact opposite, but that's a whole other story. But look at your beliefs. What are your conflicting beliefs? What is guiding and governing you? And then the last part is your vision. If you can't see it, if you can't visualize it, it's not going to happen. And here's what really holds people back. There's two things on vision. 
Now, the opposite of vision is worry. Worry is negative goal setting. And here's the reality check. Here's the non-sugar-coated version. If you're stuck on worry, your vision's not strong enough. You haven't been able to see yourself do it, accomplish it, and so you need to back up and work on your vision and visualize it. It's real and see it happening. If you can't create it mentally, it's never going to happen physically. The universe will not reward you physically until you see it mentally. You have to create that vision. So worry can really hurt your vision. Of course, the people around you can destroy your vision. People around you, your family and friends, when you tell them about your goals and your dreams, they're the first ones to spit on your dreams and pull you down and, and realize that they're going to judge you on your past mistakes and not your future potential. And I just want to tell you, no matter what your past has been, and we've all made mistakes, we've all blown it, your future's spotless. Are you going to face a future with apprehension and worry, or are you going to face it with excitement? Creating that vision, seeing it, that is real. This is self-persuasion. If you can't persuade yourself, nothing else matters. You have to create that foundation. It'll make a huge difference in your happiness and your optimism and your success and your wealth. Okay. Okay. That's good stuff, Kurt. Anything else before we move on to the blunder? Just remember this, and I've been guilty of this too. When you go to these success seminars and these successful people talk about vision and mindset and goal setting, and I used to be the one in the back saying, yeah, yeah, I heard that before. Give me the tools. Those are the tools. Those are the most important tools. Nothing else matters till you've mastered those. And guess what? You've never really mastered it because you're always working on it. This is what successful people do. They have that foundation of their thoughts, their beliefs, and their vision. Awesome. Awesome. Time to cue up the Homer. Oh, yeah. Homer, go. Go, go, go. So this is you, Kurt. I understand that we probably need to think about some things before they fall out of our mouth. Is that true? <laughs> It does. I teach a few university classes on persuasion and persuasive presentations. And of course, college students, their frontal lobes aren't fully developed. But this is a lesson for everyone because we always get so focused on us and what we want and what we want to do. We don't think about the other person. And remember, your goal is to persuade the person how they want to be persuaded and be in their shoes. And this happens every semester. Like clockwork, someone will come up before class and say, you know what? I've got a game or I've got this. I've got to leave a half hour early. Am I going to miss anything important? And I just smile and I say, no, that last half hour, I'm going to talk about stupid things. <laughs> and they look at me <laughs> and they're like, oh, 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 they kind of get it. Some of them don't even get it. That if I'm teaching a course, everything's important to me, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh, last half hour is dumb stuff. So, yeah, it doesn't really count. Don't take notes. This is the dumb stuff. It is still not important. Yeah. They, they finally get it. And we laugh about it while they're college students. No, people do this all the time where they're so focused on what they need, what they want, what they want to do, that they'll go to someone's office. And, yeah, I'll take five minutes. I'll tell them what they should do because it's a no-brainer. And they get all this resistance because you just told someone what to do. You told another department what they should do. You're not the expert, right? And it causes a lot of this resistance versus really – Simple things by putting yourself in their shoes, finding out what they want, what's in it for them. It's such a simple thing, but it's easily forgotten in the world of persuasion and influence. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. What are you saying without saying it? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's the of the day. There's the blunder of the day. That's good stuff, Kurt. So watch what you're saying. Hope you found this information useful about mindset that we covered today. And also about expectations as we drug the airlines through the grinder once again, which we love to do. Once again. I think they're probably on the top list for blunders, aren't they? 
I think they are. And then we sit here and wonder why we don't get upgraded sometimes. <laughs> That's right. We're on the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a list. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we're sitting here telling people, hey, think about what you say. And then we're complaining about not getting upgraded. <laughs> Dang it. Okay. Well, we got to practice what we preach. So everybody, thank you for listening to the show. We're going to catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Take care. Persuade with power. We'll see you next week.